Congratulations to Joe Maurer. Congratulations to Todd Helton and Beltre. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Broadway and Clark. This is Mark, joined by Duncan. We're very excited to come back with you this evening. Happens to be a Monday night. And we are going to discuss tonight the new members of the Hall of Fame and what that means for a couple of recent Cardinal retirees. Duncan, how are you doing? Good, good. Hanging in here. Yeah, shifting our recording schedule a little bit uh, to account for, you know, the, I I guess we can call it the most popular sport in America, the NFL. Uh, Moving it for those, the couple games there were yesterday on Sunday, which is usually when we sit down and do this. Um, But I think uh, worthwhile because there were some good games yesterday, so... Um, worthwhile moving it around, but also uh, gave us an extra day to gather our thoughts and uh, uh, get excited to talk a little baseball, especially about an exciting topic like uh, the Hall of Fame. And um, always fun to kind of just take a step back from the minutia of the the day to day grind of the game and, and look at it in, in a, a broader a broader view um, and kind of take stock of where the, the league is and where it has been and everything. But I'm doing good. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, relative to the Hall, uh, you know, obviously it's not news that uh, it's about, I guess it's about, what, 10-day-old news, something like that, that um, Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, and Joe Maurer, um, interestingly, well, I guess it was two national, two American leaguers, one national leaguer. None of the three were from big markets, though. I mean, I guess Beltre had a couple of, you know, he he wound up playing for quite a few teams, didn't he? But um, but by and large, none of them were on the big teams, and really, as a rule. The three of them didn't win much. Well, interesting, uh, especially, I think, um, you're talking about teams. Two of the three played their entire career with one club. Yeah, in the case of Helton and Maurer. Exactly. That is uh, still a dying art form. Exactly. And Beltre was only four clubs, I think. Dodgers, Mariners, uh, Red Sox for a year, and then the Rangers. So, I mean, it's not like he jumped all over the map, but uh, definitely saw each part of the country, that's for sure. he was with the Dodgers during some of that lean period, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, it started in 98 until 2004. The Matt Kemp years, the... Yes. When they, when they, it seemed like every year they were talked about, but they just couldn't really get over the hump. Yeah, it was like really before they started taking off. I mean, like his last year, it was like Paul LaDuca, Sean Green, Alex Cora, Cesar Asturias, Jason Wirth, Milton Bradley, and Juan Encarnacion. That was their starting lineup. Well, well, I mean, Wirth was young. He, he was would young. go on to yeah. have a, a nice career. Um, you know, uh, uh, but that was before the the Dodgers really started uh, to take off, though. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was. I mean, they didn't have Kershaw yet, right? No. And um, so, you know, I mean, all those names you 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 were you remember most of those ball players. Oh yeah. Um, and as a, you know, like Ixturis, you know, he, he never hit anything in his career, but most of the other guys were, were also hitters, you know, or decent hitters. Yeah. And, uh, but it's funny when you think about that collection of players now with the Dodgers, you're like, 
oh, that must have been one of their worst seasons ever. No, that was pretty much who the Dodgers were for, you know, yeah. probably 30 years. And that, that season they won 93 games, so it's not like they, they weren't a slouch. No, and I forget <laughs> who their studs were um, in the on the mound, but, you know, they've always been associated with good pitching and good defense. Yeah, it was uh, Jeff Weaver, Hideo Nomo. Oh yeah, Jose Lima. Nomo had a nice. Uh, he had a nice. What he had about a five year run with them, maybe even longer. Yeah. He he was solid. Yeah, and then they had Gagne in the pen to close it out. So oh yeah, he was a stud with the goggles. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, so yeah, I forgot. Beltre spent a number of years there. Um, it's so funny because. He's the epitome of a guy that just kept stacking numbers to the point where there was no denying him. I mean, he's he was, and this was his first time on the ballot, right? I believe so. Mm-hmm. So first ballot Hall of Famer uh, for a guy that never won an MVP, um, I don't believe. I don't know if he, how, if he won any silver sluggers. He just he was did, just yeah. like, uh, what do they say? Like water torture. You know, he just, he was just unrelenting in his production, played. I don't know how much injury he had in his career. I'm sure a guy that, he's played like 21 or 22 years, right? He, um, yeah, t- 20 years, 21 years, yeah. Yeah, so he uh, he might have had a couple seasons where you know he had extended stays on the uh, used to be the DL. What's it called now? The IL. IL. Yeah, he only yeah. had two seasons, one of which was his rookie year, where he played under a hundred games. Well, there you go. Yeah, so he was durable I mean, for sure. If if you can if you can play north of. 1,800 games in Major League Baseball, which means you're, you know, you're probably in the 14-season range minimum, maybe 13. Uh, You're probably, you probably got to, you know, you're definitely a, a solid ball player. Oh, yeah. Because to get that kind of time, you know, get those many games in in that short of a time, means you're you're an everyday player for almost that entire period exactly Um, yeah and and you know i mean unless unless you're just an otherworldly fielder you know a catcher that a catcher that's just top of the league defensively year after year uh, that's the only way you get those kind of numbers up right well, I was going to say, we'll talk about a couple of the other inductees, too, but one of the things that I want to mention about Adrian Beltre, and we'll kind of expand on this a little bit, too, in a bit. Yeah. You were talking about how this affects a couple of recent uh, Cardinals retirees, but um, he and Albert Pujols, both being from the DR, uh, have a, a good relationship, a good friendship, and uh, I heard Beltre talking in an interview about Albert and how even though Beltre was in the league before Albert, he looked up to Albert as like a role model. Uh, it's a very unique friendship between the two of them. Obviously, when Albert uh, hit 700, um, and I think it was, yeah, it was at Dodger Stadium against, what was that, Phil Bickford, I think was the, the pitcher. Um, Adrian Beltre right behind home plate. And Albert went right over to him after touching home, gave him a high five. So I mean, they had they clearly have a close relationship that Beltre wanted to be there for Albert in those kind of situations. So uh, definitely that that uh, nationality connection there. Uh, but kind of an interesting little tidbit with us being a Cardinals podcast uh, that Beltre really looked up to Albert so much, even though he was in the league for what three years before Albert was was even a rookie. Well, and that shows you the alignment of their careers, too, because, I mean, obviously it wasn't perfect same year to same year, but they're probably very close in age, and they, uh, you know, like you said, both of them coming from the Dominican, um, 
those factors, you know, we, we sometimes probably don't think about it, but, you know, you could play with a guy in low A or, you know, single A ball and um, you, you know, 15 years later, maybe you've never played on the same major league squad, but some of the experiences you have in the low minors and, you know, you're a young kid, maybe away from home for the first time, you can forge bonds then that, you know, they're just different than what happens, you know, when you're, a, you know, you're a star and you're trying to navigate your brand and do all, all the other things that are required that make it a little more difficult, you know, maybe to have those kinds of personal relationships. You also might be at the point where now you got a wife and kids and it's just a different dynamic. So that's awesome for uh, for Albert, and of course, uh, I mean, I always liked Beltre. Um, I always wish he was on the birds. I loved him. I loved watching him play. Well, he 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 grew on you certainly. He didn't he didn't come out of the gate as a bona fide superstar. Yeah, um, yeah. But like like we've said, I mean, he's just. And I don't. I, I didn't prepare a bunch of stats to demonstrate this. I don't think it's really necessary to demonstrate this statistically. I just think anybody that follows the sport and cares about the guy, you know, about these kinds of things, you will have realized probably. I don't know. I'd say maybe in the 2017 range, somewhere around there. You're like, you know, this guy just keeps putting up season after season. And now these numbers are starting to become significant. Like, I don't know what year he hit his 3,000th, um, but it wasn't last year, you know. And, uh, you know, again, he didn't have – I don't did he get to – I don't think he got to 500 home runs or did he? I, I apologize. I don't know that. No, 477. Yeah. So what? Two more than Sam Musial, I believe. But yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So so. But that's the point. You know, he he wasn't. We, we uh, real quick. We got a couple visitors here. Oh hey, welcome, welcome to the pod. Who's here, Duncan? All right. You guys want to say hi? It's You guys can be on national radio, national um, streaming. Interest, pardon me. <laughs> yeah, we should give a little shout out to our listeners, whoever it is in, in Alberta, Canada. That's right. And did you say Germany? We have a listener from Germany. or oh, I don't know if it's one or more. <laughs> yeah, there was another uh, international one, too, uh, that I saw, and I cannot remember off the top of my head where it was, but yeah. Our listener in Alberta, I guess, could be a could be a Nationals fan because of the Expos history, but most likely they're a Jays fan, right? Maybe. I mean, Alberta's way closer to Vancouver than it is to Toronto. Yeah, that's true too. They could be a, a Mariners fan. You know what I'm going to believe, though? They're probably a Cardinals fan that, one, either came through town for some reason in the past or when they were a kid, and this is true for a lot of Cardinals fans, you know, the big boys, the Cardinals, the Yankees, the Dodgers, um, maybe for people in the last generation or so, the Sox to a lesser extent, certainly, but you know, the, the, the classic clubs that have always had big fan bases, you can you you can grow up anywhere and especially if you don't live in one of the big cities, which I I personally don't know what that experience is like in life. But there's a great many people in this country and you know, in Canada for that matter, that grow up in towns that really aren't all that close to a major league ballpark. And, uh, you know, if you were so fortunate in, the, in, you know, prior to the turn of the century to listen to a guy like Jack Buck in St. Louis, 
Um, and then even after that, we've had, you know, really legendary announcers in town for the radio broadcast. We've had some very popular television announcers for the, you know, televised broadcast. <clears throat> That's very, you know, I don't know how common it is, but it's very possible and understandable that a Cardinal fan might be living in Alberta. Probably a bunch of them, actually. Yeah, well, and you mentioned, you know, maybe if it, if it was a situation they just rolled through town and then became a fan or something like that. Uh, I think in a future episode we might do a little game day experience kind of rundown or something like that for maybe some fans that aren't able to get to the stadium or haven't been in a long time or those kinds of things. I mean, we're lucky enough to live in town. Uh, where we can easily get down to the ballpark um, when we want to for multiple games a year. And not everyone can. Uh, so uh, maybe we'll do that in a future episode for uh, for some of those fans. We'll give them a little we'll give them a little of our uh, scoop on you know what to do and where to stay in the loo when you come for a Cardinals weekend. There you go. I like it. <laughs> Our, our travel agency on the side that we got going on. Right, so right. anyway, we talked Sorry. a little bit about Beltray. Uh, Todd Helton, comments, reflection, I, anything? I'm just really happy for you know him and Maurer both. Uh, both guys, uh, really all three, just general thoughts about just, I mentioned this to you off air and everything a diff- uh, on the other day. Just the idea of, you know, really starting to get into that Hall of Fame era where I guys are getting voted in that I've seen play their entire career uh, versus, you know, guys had been getting voted in that, you know, maybe I saw the last seven, eight years uh, of their career or even less than that, uh, you know, how depending on how far we go back as far as the Hall of Fame voting goes. But... Now being able to see guys' entire careers and then watch them getting voted in the Hall of Fame is just kind of an interesting fan fandom development, I guess you could call it. So kind of cool to watch Todd Helton and Joe Maurer get in, and Adrian Beltre too, and after watching all them play. Loved watching Todd Helton play. You know, there's the whole uh, Colorado argument uh, about stats and this and that and the other, but... You, you, he's one of those guys that I just remember every time that we played the Rockies, he'd come up and you'd be like, oh, no, this guy. He just had that kind of feel. So uh, whether you want to argue if he's in the Hall of Fame or not, definitely a feared guy uh, to have to face, that's for sure. And same thing with Joe Maurer. You're like, I mean, this guy, you just can't beat him. As, uh, Joe, I saw a clip of Joe Maurer where um, I want to say it was Scherzer. Was trying to uh, trying to strike him out, couldn't strike him out, and Joe Maurer, no matter how far inside Max Scherzer pitched him, he still wouldn't roll over the ball, and he would still hit it into left center field since Maurer is a lefty, and so he'd still kind of get get his swing right back up the middle and everything, and it was to the point where Scherzer ended up developing a new pitch that he had never thrown before just to strike out Joe Maurer. So one of those, definitely one of those guys that um, you feared going up against and you just saw his name coming up in the lineup and thought, oh, no, we better not have runners on when this guy gets up. Uh, yeah, that's good stuff. That There's, there's two things there I wanted to comment on that you – that you said one is the experience of um you know watching a ball player's whole career and then at the end of it you see the recognition you get to uh you know uh, harken back to some memories you may have had over the last uh you know during your fandom of some of the important moments most everybody that gets in the hall um, had at least a few of those moments. We just happened to have a year where, you know, the main inductees, the three inductees that, you know, really, um, you know, made it in just on the basic writer's vote and, and you know, are the recent uh 
MLB players. Uh, you know, you've you've got th- this group. This this group of three didn't really win a lot. You know, as part of teams that won, but I think uh, to a man, all of their teammates would describe them as winning ball players, right? And so there's a difference there, and we've talked a little bit about it. You know, there's the reflected glory of wearing the birds on the bat, for example. That, you know, ball players um, on more than one occasion have come here and outperformed their career averages because there's something special about being on the Cardinals or being part of the Cardinal organization. You know, we wring our hands and get all nervous as fans. Are we, you know, are we losing our mojo? Is the Cardinal way fading out of, you know, going out of style, uh, losing favor, whatever? And um, I don't think so. I don't think it will. I think we, um, I think we'll be back. I think we'll continue to be dominant um, in the game. You can say, well, how dominant have they been? Well, I mean, you know, we can I'm, – I'm, I'm willing to lay my credentials on the table with most of the organizations in the game. I mean, there's probably – I don't even know if it's a handful, but I'll, but I'll grant that there's been five organizations that in the 2000s maybe have had a slightly better run. You wouldn't have said that at the end of the 2011 World Series, but the last dozen years, you know, have only been very good for the Cardinals, not not outstanding like our expectations are. Um, but these three players just didn't, you know, like you, we were talking earlier, Beltre had, you know, a significant time with the Dodgers early on. Uh, but that was before they hit this recent run of, you know, being basically penciled into the NLCS or certainly yeah. a candidate for it every year. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't think he was ever, I'm certain he was never in a World Series with them. Um, and I don't remember if, if he was on the squad when they made a NLCS, um, Helton, unfortunately was in Colorado where they've struggled. Although, no, I guess he was on the world series team and yeah, with holiday. Yeah. What year was seven? I think was that Oh seven after we won it in Oh six. Yeah, I believe so. So that would have been, he would have still been considered a relatively young ball player. Yeah. Um, I didn't look at his stats in that series. I'm sure he, I'm sure he had something to say about it. Yeah. Uh, they didn't play particularly well. Was it a, was that a four, one series or did it go four, two? I forget. I don't um, know, but I remember it was not that close. It wasn't very competitive. Was it? No. Uh, one of the things I, I was thinking about when you said it, and it's just related to Cardinals talk and everything, you talked about like there being a, an aura about you know players yeah. playing for the Cardinals and yeah. outperforming their career averages and those kind of things. That's one thing that I've always thought about. You know, in, in the discussions this off season in particular about. Uh, what's being said about Arnado or Goldschmidt or something like that? And, you know they're they're getting older, and you know two years ago they were one and three in the MVP voting, and then last year we had such a bad season, and there's all the talk about oh well maybe they're regressing and they're just getting older and they're kind of falling off the cliff now. Blah blah blah. Your talk about you know players outperforming their career averages when they come play for the Cardinals, there is something to that. And so last year being the exact opposite, it's going to be hard for players to show up and outperform those averages or to play as they're expected to. But when players are on a team that is playing to the expectations of the Cardinals to you know, be 
around that 90-win mark plus and perform in the playoffs and that kind of a thing, that motivates players even more. So I don't buy into the tail end of their career declining kind of discussion uh, with using last year as an example because, of course, a player's going to not be as motivated or have that extra gear in that kind of a season, Um, especially like we mentioned in previous episodes too when you're trying to fight back from being down 4 or 5 0 after the second inning um, every single night. So um, I just wanted to throw that in there just to kind of tie all that together when you mentioned that about outperforming career averages and uh, when playing for the Cardinals. So um, just wanted to throw that in there too. No, absolutely. And that uh, leads me to the end. Joe Maurer, I think we will uh, we'll dive a little deeper on his career. Congratulations to him. Yeah. You know, as being a, uh, one of the, uh, you know, fan bases that had the, the great fortune of having a top, you know, one, two or three catcher in the game from, you know, about 05 till 2021 or so. Uh, you know, obviously Yachty here, um, uh, Posey out in San Francisco. Yeah. And Maurer in Minnesota. I mean, there were other guys in and among that group. Uh, obviously, most recently, like a real Muto. And then, of course, uh, a guy who will probably make the Hall of Fame if he continues at his current pace and uh, potentially never win anything, although he did have his one time to shine. Uh, Sal Perez out uh, at the western border of our fine state. Um, You know, being in that group, Maurer, you know, we were always very aware of him. And one of the things that you know, we used as a differentiator because he was an extremely uh, proficient at bat. I mean, he just, he you know, there was, when he was at his height, there was plenty of talk about the best hitting catcher of all time. Now, Oh, yeah, I mean, especially his MVP season in 2009, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I mean, and... You know, he he never had he never even got close to Bench's power or a bunch of other good catchers' power. Um, and I mean, Johnny Bench is on a whole nother plane from any other, you know, player that ever played the position. There were a couple guys in the early years. Uh, what's his name? Uh, not Oscar Trout, Josh, whatever. I forget his last name. I apologize. But uh, the Negro Leaguer, uh, many say he was the best catcher ever. Um, But uh, in terms of when Maurer stopped catching regularly, here in St. Louis, we were like, yep, well, you know, great ball player, but I guess they got to preserve his bat. You know, his bat's going to suffer if they keep, putting him behind the plate while our guy just keep kept chugging along. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, recently we saw uh, one of the, one of the great Cardinal fans that we follow had put up this uh, a meme or a stat, whatever that Yachty had more games caught than Maurer and Posey combined, um, which, you know, I think tells you, a, a decent amount of story in few words. So great, uh, great honor for Joe Maurer. I don't think it was controversial for him to get in. Uh, his counting stats weren't, you know, weren't quite what some guys have because he didn't play quite as long. And Posey's going to be an even tougher conversation around yes. that. Yes. Because of when he retired, yeah, because he 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 really he really hung it up, you know, a solid probably five years before he had to. Um, but uh, you know his his seven year peak, you know, might have been the best since bench, 
you know, that's, you know, with all due respect to the Posadas and the, maybe not Pudge, I, you know, I should, I should watch my mouth here. Let's not forget Pudge, who was amazing. Um, and, uh, but anyway, yeah, so congratulations to Joe Maurer, congratulations to Todd Helton, uh, and to Adrian Beltre, and your little story about the relationship between Albert and uh, and Beltre, and then your thought about you know having gotten to watch these guys play their whole careers when you were you know kind of a a paying attention baseball fan uh, leads us to um, you know what do their these these inductions this year mean for the potential Cardinals that are to come. That's right. And, and so actually, really quick, just yeah. before you jump into that, yeah, um, just to you know get it on the pod, give give the man his shine. You mentioned uh, the the uh, catcher from the Negro Leagues that that uh, oh yeah is, uh, considered you know one of the the best ever to I do. Just it. Just want to make sure name. we give him his shine. Josh Gibson. Okay. Josh Gibson, that's right. I would say I had it pulled up in front of me. I was like, I gotta find this. I need to make sure we get. They say his name he was unbelievable. Yeah, I gotta like do a deep dive on his all of his stats. I mean, three seventy three batting average. What? Yeah, I know. In a sixteen year career. Yeah. Oh. I mean, back in the day, that's what the best players the best players flirted with those kinds of numbers. Not quite that high. But a three fifty career average, you know, for a Gehrig or somebody like that, wasn't that far out of the. But but that's what I'm saying. That's the rarefied air that apparently Josh Gibson, you know, breathed. He was. I mean, like you look at the picture they've got of him too. The picture they have of him on his page. Oh yeah, you could you could put him in modern clothes and you'd be like, oh, that's a ball player. All right. Yeah, like he doesn't. He doesn't look like a guy who played in the 30s, and you're like, I mean, yeah, he looks like a 30s ball player. No, right. no, this guy is – he's an athlete. Yeah. He he could go out and do it today, I'm sure, if he was still alive. That's crazy. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, we're going to – we're going to um, – I mean, we – as we go forward, we'll, we'll have uh, from time to time, maybe we'll focus on one of the older players – that, you know, sometimes people forget, like uh, in the NBA the other night, Luka Doncic just, he scored 73. We've been having this, and it seems like it happens every January, where you get guys just going nuts and scoring, you know, 50-plus. Well, this year we're having, I think we've had four games of at least 60 and two of seven, you know, so – that includes two of 70. So I think two in the 60s, two in the 70s, which is nuts. When uh, when Luca did it, he became only the ninth guy. I think Joel Embiid had done it earlier in the month, and uh, Luca did it. And I didn't realize, but when he did it, he became only the ninth guy ever to score as many as 70 points in a game. A couple guys did it more than once, including uh, Wilt Chamberlain, who's got the record with 100 but I noticed that uh, David Robinson, who plays played for the team that I kind of adopted as my, you know, here in St. Louis, we don't have a, an NBA team. So I kind of adopted the San Antonio Spurs right around the year 2000. I mean, I was front running a little bit and I kind of I kind of had a sweet spot for this this young kid named Tim Duncan. And so within my family, it's pretty legendary how I feel about Timmy. But um, but before he was the man in San Antonio, it was the Admiral. And on the last day, this, this is what I love about this stat. And it's why, it's why, you know, one of the reasons I love the game of baseball, but there's the experience of being at the ball yard, smelling the grass, the hot summer night. You know the 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 moths and the lights and all that that is you know very visceral and very much an experience that you want to live, but you can also you know have a pretty full throated fandom 
just off the written page, just off the website, you know, you could, you could get on baseball reference. You know, they talk about kids on TikTok. Well, somebody like me, I could get on baseball reference and I'll see in three hours. You know, I don't I mean, I, I've just been all over the yard and, um, I love doing the, like the player comps, like who did they most, you know, who did they most, uh, match, yeah. You know, and uh, I mean, especially with our run with Albert, you know, you you look up Albert and you see names like Ted Williams and Babe Ruth and you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's crazy. And Hank Aaron, I mean, so, yeah. So anyway, that uh, but with with Maurer, Helton and Beltre getting in. Uh, I think it locks. I mean, I always thought Yachty was a lock. But there is some discussion, you know, uh, how do you take guys that were outstanding defenders? And the thing is, over the last, like, five years or so, you know, you'd get drive-bys by Cubs fans or Brewers fans or, you know, just people that don't like the Cardinals for whatever reason. I don't know what's wrong with those people. Just, you know must have been dropped on their heads when they were babies or their mothers didn't love them enough. I don't know what it was, but they just don't like the Cardinals. And you'd get, you'd get some noise about, oh, Yachty's, you know, doesn't frame pitches as well as, you know, I don't know, Real Muto or whoever, whoever the flavor of the month was. And, um, and you know, how he never really was uh, – you know, an elite level hitter, which I'll, I mean, I'll readily admit that, you know, you take Yachty's stats in a vacuum and tell me he was a, you know, he was a right fielder his whole career. Then I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. But he wasn't, he was the best catcher in the game for a decade. And, you know, so that's half his career. And the other half of his career was typically in the top two or three yeah, and maybe he had a few years toward the end where he was, you know, more middle of the pack. That's okay. Um, but that's the whole thing. He's got both the counting numbers, you know, really high in total innings caught. Um, you cannot discount his record with Adam Wainwright, uh, you know, in terms of the most, uh, the most uh, battery starts ever. Uh, they broke the record Yachty's last season. Um, you know, two-time World Series winner, three-time participant. Um, I think he's one of those guys with better batting stats in the postseason than the regular season for his career, if I'm not mistaken about that. Don't hold me Ooh. to it in case, you know, I didn't update my uh, spreadsheet lately. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but all those – all those factors, I mean, you know, again, it's hard. We're so biased. I mean, we loved him so much that, you know, it, it would be easy. Like if I, if, if, if Yadi Molina played his entire career as a Met, for example, I'm sure I could muster a good argument that said I was overrated. He wasn't that good. And I'd be just as wrong going the other way as I feel like the people that, you know, that try to express that now are wrong. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Do you understand what I mean there? Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So I think he's in. I don't think it's a question. Uh, we got about three, three and a half years or whatever it is to wait. By then he could be the manager of the National League you know, NLCS winning St. Louis Cardinals, uh, the 2027 so. World Series. I can see it like I'm That's right. Like I'm looking, you know, right at it online right now. Uh, but, yeah, it probably <clears> – nothing about this year's Hall um, election and um, um, nothing about this year's election um, – hurt any any former Cardinals. Uh, there's really not anybody. The only other conversation we have to have, and we're probably going to have to dive into some numbers, 
because he's probably close, but I think in the in the final analysis, just not nearly close enough. And that's that's our beloved Wayno, Uncle Charlie. Um, other than him, who is even? You know, obviously Goldie, I think, is in. Uh, he's probably got to put a couple more years of solid numbers together just to make it a no-brainer. And fully think he can do that. Yeah. I mean, there's there's the only thing he lacks is a World Series, which he could absolutely get in the next three to five years. Now, now we've got yeah, an interesting— So did Todd Helton. Say again? Said so did Todd Helton. (laughs) So I don't see any reason that he could. Oh, there's a number of them. Yeah, there's a lot of guys. Um, I don't think Wynn was ever. Anyway, don't don't get don't let me get too far off the track. Uh, But anyway, yeah, that's that's what I I I don't think we've got anybody really on the horizon other than potentially Nato and Goldie, and that's you know you're looking at in the case of Nato, that's more than a decade from now. And in the case of Goldie, I think Goldie plays at least three more years um, yeah. with today's health regimens and everything else, the lack of career-ending injuries. He could easily go five years. I mean, he's, he turned did he turn 36 last year, I think it was. He probably won't play till he's 41, but he'll play three more years if he, if he wants to and if he's productive. Um, but we'll talk about that a lot when his when it's time for him to uh, you know make a decision on the years after this one. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking about there. We don't really have any other. I don't know. Is there anybody else that's like part of like a Mosaic? Is that a conversation we need to have? Is he an executive that that gets in? I mean, executives don't have the same. I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, but it's not the same buzz, I guess. Or, you know, they just don't have yeah. the same kind of. Well, you know, I guess a Dombrowski or a, but they just don't compare to the Branch Rickies and the, yeah, you know, exactly. Like, I mean, Branch Ricky in particular, Branch Ricky in particular is like a, um, a tr- not trend setter, but a barrier breaking kind of a guy. I mean, he was the guy. Didn't he sign Jackie Robinson? He did. He, he was very innovative, innovative, innovative. Yeah, no, innovative. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, so I mean, that's that's part of it. I don't, I don't pretend to be well versed enough um, to speak about GMs and and those kind of uh, front office staff getting into the hall. So I'm not really sure about those kind of things, but definitely could speak more. Well, if we threw stuff. out ten of the names of the people that are in, you know, a lot of them are like the old owners. You know, from the way back, uh, and uh, like I think Augie's in. Yeah, Augie's in. Augie Bush is in, um, and there's a few others, but uh, there's many. I mean, there's not just a few. There's a decent. You know, there's a decent group. Same thing with the like. Like we're not in the middle of a legendary broadcaster run, right? That's so right. he's gonna. You know, our broadcaster is. You know, as soon as he, you know, soon after he retires, we'll be in the hall. Uh, you know, Shannon is a conversation that could be had, um, but I think I think Mike Shannon might be the announcer for the Hall of Fame game that you know Adam Wainwright pitches in. Um, I think that's a good. That's a good way to I say. I think it. that's kind of what we're seeing there. But anyway, yeah. Uh, congrats to the guys that are in. Any you got anything else on that? Or I know we were. Thinking yeah, the about only it. thing I wanted to kind of throw out there yeah. would just be about Yachty. Yeah. Um, and with Maurer getting in, I think it's, I think it's all but surefire that Yachty gets in at some point in the ten years on the ballot. I agree. If I Joe agree. Maurer's getting in on the first ballot, um, I think anyone who argues. Strictly based off of well, I say strictly based off of, but when when people are going to argue against Yachty because of offensive numbers or lack thereof, 
but vote Joe Maurer in because of offensive numbers, then I think that just shows so clearly that there's just a lack of appreciation of the defensive side of the game, particularly for a catcher who influences literally every single pitch on the defensive side of the ball and is involved in so much of the defending part of the game versus a an infielder or an outfielder who can influence it, but only when the ball's hit to them, basically. Um, so I think uh, I think the the defensive side of the ball, particularly for catchers, is so difficult in a way to quantify uh, that I think it's almost like Yachty is just like he's got to be for all the writers just the eye test. Yeah, that guy's a Hall of Famer. He just is. He's that good. He is that influential. He has carried the Cardinals pitching staffs on his back and and led them. Uh, Not saying that the pitching staffs were bad other than him. You know, we had good pitchers like Chris Carpenter and Wayno in his heyday and those kind of things. So, uh, but he, he was a massive part of the pitching staff and, and, and what we had going on here at the club. So, um, I think that can't be underestimated, and I think that just goes to the eye test, and he has to be able to get in. Um, at some point on the 10 years, I wouldn't be shocked if he went in on the first ballot. Um, it just would it would just make sense. Yeah, so he won't I just wanted to at least I mean, throw depending that out there. on who he's up with, um, I'm trying to think back to um, that. Well, I mean, obviously Albert, but uh, – any other guys that retired that year, Miggy played another year, so he won't be eligible till the next year. Um, but other than that, I can't think of any of the, the big legends that just retired last year with, I feel like Berto and Yachty were kind of the story of it at the end. Um, so I feel like that's not going to be a problem, Yachty getting in. I think it'll be in the first two or three years. There will still be critics. And, you know, big hall, small hall, we've talked a little bit about that. I think we actually mentioned it uh, directly last time. And uh, there are a number of guys. I mean, we could do a series of episodes over – you know, and just pick one guy at a time, and we could probably do that for six months. There's 25 guys that, you know, depending on how you want to look at it, you could make a strong case that they belong in over. I don't know if it's, I don't know if that group of 25 would displace another group of 25 that's already in. But like when Lou Brock got in, he, was a no-brainer. It wasn't even a conversation. He was the leader in history in stolen bases. He had the uh, he had the most stolen bases in a season. He did things that had never been done before. And but if you look back now at his numbers, now he did get to three thousand hits, uh, which is still in my mind. That's if you hit if you get to three thousand hits, I don't need to know anything else about your career. You're a Hall of Famer in my book. That's two hundred hits for fifteen seasons. First of all, nobody gets to or you know not many people get two hundred hits. We just watched uh, Ichiro do it for the whole aughts, the whole decade of the aughts, and you know that guy was. I mean, he's an all-timer, right? I don't know where he fits on the Pantheon, but he's on it somewhere. Um, yeah. I'd say especially in this modern era, if anyone ever gets to 3,000, they have to be in. Right. Because people aren't getting hits nowadays versus like what it was in the 70s, Well, 80s, even in the 70s and 80s, I mean, there, <clears throat> there was a – you know, it ebbs and flows just like everything. But in the 60s, guys, if you hit 310 – you were either likely leading the league or in the top two or three, you know, and, and that's kind of, you know, and then there were, there were periods like in the thirties and, you know, different eras where, 
you know, it was very common to hit. I mean, in the 80s, look how well, you know, when when it was all about speed and, you know, and now we've transitioned into this power era uh, where you're right. The, the base hit has been devalued to the point where your league leaders every year, you know, are going to be right around the 200 mark. Um, and it used to be, you know, there'd be six, eight, ten guys, and you know, both leagues combined over two hundred hits. And now it's just not as common. And so, uh, but anyway, my point about Lou Brock was there are people that will tell you now that he's got one of the worst Hall of Fame resumes. And especially, you get some stat nerds that'll say. What's his claim to fame? Oh, he led the lead, you know, he set the, he led history uh, in a stat that actually is probably more negative than positive, you know, in the stolen base. And I don't want to hear stuff like that from, if you're going to, if you're going to play the game of baseball on a spreadsheet and that alone, I don't want to hear it. Statistics and analytics are supposed to help support the real game that's being played on the field in real life. It's not supposed to be a substitute. I love for it. it. I love it. That just that just irks me so well, that's, so bad. I mean, you're it's your generation. Actually, you're even you're even a it little is. younger than the the generation that really's been beating the drum for this. But but you said yeah. it so perfectly well. I mean, they're not wrong. You know, the facts that they present, the math that they're doing, they're all good at math. I mean, some of these people are damn near geniuses. You know, it's kind of a trend to hire. You know, it's kind of like we're, we're a, a, you know, we're a white shoe New York law firm or something. You know, if you're not from an Ivy League school, <laughs> you can't work in a front office, I guess. You know, I don't know what happened to the kid that's been, you know, anyway, we'll talk about that some other time. I, I always think about uh, the horse business, horse racing, you know. There's kind of an ugly underbelly there, but those are the people that really make the sport, you know, exci- as exciting as it is. And some people might say it's not exciting at all. I think it's pretty exciting, especially if you kind of get into the rhythms of it, the day-to-day, which is which is really what makes our game the best in the sense that, It's not a production. You know, we just got done watching highly produced television entertainment that, you know, masquerades as a major sport, which it is. I mean, I'm not going to dump on pro football when, you know, I was tuned in along with most of the rest of the country yesterday. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you talk all you want, pal, but, you know, here's here's some numbers for you to chew on. Um. And, you know, it's right. I mean, it's exactly right. And that's where, you know, when the analytics approach helps ball clubs, I mean, you know, the whole money ball thing, people take out of that. They're like, well, here's here's all this stuff we learned. No, you're missing the whole entire point of it. If Billy Bean would have had Dodger money, he would have approached the game the way the Dodgers approach it. He did what he did because he worked for the Oakland Athletics and they had no money to spend. So he had to look for other competitive advantages. And that's the problem with small samples and, you know, all these things that these people should know better. And the best of them do point it all out. Hey, this is just what, you know, these are either observations. We can't really draw too many conclusions blah 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 um but anyway yeah the hall of fame is always a great subject and it it, you know and it it, it's had its fair share of criticism over the years uh and some of it deserved but the one thing it does very nicely is it helps tie the errors together so we can say okay now you can look at you know scott Rowland next to Tris Speaker, for example. You know, um, you can look at, you know, Mays. Or throw it back from earlier, you can look at Josh Gibson to Johnny Bench to Joe Maurer to, P- or to Pudge to yeah. Joe Maurer 
and then hopefully oh yeah, and Yachty. there's there's guy yeah, uh, there was this guy by the name of Barrett that had a half decent career. He's from the hill right here in St. Louis. Oh yeah, don't let's, let's not. Yeah, forget he about might him. have had a couple hits in a World Series once or twice. Um, but yeah, and that's that's the whole that's that's uh, one of the things that makes it so much fun to talk about. But it, it's I think it's also part of its its real value to the game. Um, is by continuing to, you know, uh, maintain and try to really uh, even improve and grow this shrine to the game's history, we don't forget. You know, we discover these great – and what, what, was, what was some of the other stuff? Oh, I know what it was. Uh, last year – I forget who the two modern players were. It was like it was like uh, uh, you know Aaron Judge and somebody else, but don't 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 hold me to the fact that it was Aaron Judge. But it was two modern players last year. They combined to strike out. I don't know, like uh, I forget how many times. Or they each struck. In the whole decade of the 90s, Tony Gwynn struck out, I think it was 198 times. It was it was Schwarber and Eugenio Suarez. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they were and each they like around 220. more than 198, right? Yeah, they were like around 220 or something like that. <laughs> and that's I mean, crazy. that's the kind of stuff that, you know, and – and Stan the Man was was Tony Gwynn before, you know, was a better version of Tony Gwynn or, or a better version of the parts of Tony Gwynn that made him, you know, special. Because the man is, you know, he's a top five all-timer. You know, I mean, he's, he, he's on that short list of, you know, best of all time. And what's so awesome about Stan is that he's, there's probably never been a period where everybody said, no, he's the best of all time. But he's but he got so close because it was Ruth when when Musial hit his high, it was Ruth. But you also had Williams, you also had DiMaggio, you also had Mantle. You know, you had some big time stars, and so he never really got to the level of the best ever. I mean, he's far and away the best Cardinals. Not even not even a conversation, uh, and that includes Albert with seven hundred home runs. Um, and, uh, and I mean, you know, not for nothing, Albert got pretty darn close, but he's not, he never did what Stan did, you know, not, and he didn't do it for us. He left us after 11 years. He should have stayed here, but who knows? Albert, Albert had a kind of weird career, uh, in that respect. But, uh, anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but I do love, I do love the hall talk because, it brings back so many memories and the hall has a done stuff. a good job over the last, what's it been about 40, 50 years to really make a point of emphasis to, to try to fairly evaluate like the Negro league players. Um, yeah, I agree. Bring I all mean, those stats in. Yeah. Especially that group uh, because it was so big. And so, and that's baseball uh, history too. It's all well, it was so history. significant. Like, it is, like yeah. I know they talk about players from like Europe. You know, I guess there's there's been leagues in other parts of the world. You know, Mexico's had a pretty decent, uh, you know, tradition for you know a while now. But but really, the ML, you know, the the Major League Baseball's been open to everybody for you know, most of the last 60 or so years. And, uh, you know, because it's such a competitive game, the the clubs have gone out looking for these guys. Uh, I mean, arguably the best, you know, if you put a, a team together of the last half century, say, so say like, you know, 1970 to now, uh, you know, or whatever they, you know, sometimes they call it the modern era when they lowered the mound after, you know, Gibson season and all mm-hmm. that. Right. Um, if you, if you look at that period, um, you know, the Latin players alone would, uh, you could form a formidable team 
that would probably, I mean, it would probably be the Latin players versus the rest of the world, or maybe you'd have a Latin U.S. and then the and that that third team would would struggle. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't be able to. I mean, obviously, it'd be mostly Asian players, and there's been a number of really solid ones, but traditionally they tended to come over a little bit later. But the fact that you don't necessarily have had to play a game. I think the reason the Negro Leagues are viewed the way they are is because they were banned or barred from playing in the in the in Major League Baseball, right? Is that is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, it's a worldwide, it's an international sport, has been for a long time, but there's definitely pockets of the world that have had significant influence, none more so than you know, the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, you know, there's a number of countries in Central and South America that have kind of had an outsized impact relative to their size, right? Yeah. Yeah, and good to see this this class. <clears throat> you got a couple. Um, you got an American, a, uh, a person from the DR, and then, uh, um, oh, no, Todd Hilton's American. Too. Why did I think he was Canadian? He's not Canadian. So two Americans and someone from the DR. So you got a little bit of – Diversity there. You're thinking um, of uh, we were thinking of Larry Walker. We were I thinking am, of I'm thinking of Larry Walker for sure. The other lefty from Colorado. His other yeah, the his Hall of Fame teammate. Right, exactly. Uh, but yeah, so uh, seeing a little bit of that uh, in this this Hall of Fame class, so that's kind of nice. So congrats to those wait, three. I can't wait till the Rockies have a pitcher that pitches for like ten years. You know, like an like uh, remember Ubaldo uh, a few Ubaldo years Jimenez. ago. Ubaldo yeah, that was what I thought of. Season. Well, I, I I can't wait till they have a guy that comes up as a twenty three year old fireballer, and ten years later they're like, "Yep, they said it couldn't be done, but look at you know, look at Sanchez here. He's just he's just racked up his tenth year. He's got you know, one hundred and eighty victories, and he's got." you know, a career 3.4 ERA or whatever, you know, just just silly numbers and kind of breaks that whole curse. I mean, there's no doubt the I guess the science of it, it's a little little more difficult to pitch in Colorado. But uh they've had some great they've had some really good players and a couple times they've they've put it all together. Uh they've been kind of a sad sack franchise for what, probably the last decade now. Yeah, but, easy. Um, but yeah, they were, uh, you know, they they were always at least taking a shot out of at it. Um, we'll see this year. I guess going into the season, we're looking at the Diamondbacks being the big challenger. Well, and that's a that's a good lead into maybe next episode and everything. Yeah, we'll break we'll break down. Uh, we'll start with the central really and uh, focus mainly on our own division and go team by team yeah. worst to first biggest uh biggest uh barrier in the cardinals way to winning the division to uh to the smallest or vice versa and we'll go through each team and, and see what we're facing going into the year yeah i think that's the way to go okay yeah. well i think what we have here is a solid episode i agree i think this is good all right, so yeah, some good Hall of Fame talk. Something a little bit uh, different uh, for this uh, for this episode. We appreciate everybody taking taking the time to listen, Mark. I appreciate uh, all of your perspective uh, that you can bring that um, that I can't. But yeah, some some uh, some good Hall of Fame talk. Congrats to the three inductees, uh, Beltre, Maurer, and Helton. Uh, exciting class there. Um, follow uh, follow us uh, let us know what you think about what we talked about today let us know what you'd like to hear um, and kind of different topics or uh, genres of things that you want us to talk about whether it's day-to-day happenings and kind of get our our takes on things or if you want us to take a particular um, idea on you know looking at individual players or comparing position battles or things like that uh, especially heading into spring training let us know we want to know what everyone wants to hear and so we can better tailor this uh podcast to to what you you guys want to listen to so let us know uh you can find us on twitter or x um at broadway underscore clark 
and find us there. Shoot us a message. Uh, retweet us. We'll uh, try to be getting more and more active on there, especially as the season gets rolling and, and spring training starts here very shortly, less than a month before the first spring training game. Uh, but find us on there um, and uh, let us know what you'd like to hear and, and uh, love to start a little community discussion and things like that over there. So, um for, for Mark, uh, my co-host Mark, I'm Duncan. We'll sign off here from Broadway and Clark for today, and we'll uh, catch up with you guys in a few days.